0: Hey man, is that the Rock News Weekly Podcast? Yeah man, well turn it up man! This is Rock News Weekly. Every week, we bring you all the latest headlines in rock, metal, indie, grunge, alt, and classic rock news, this week's new releases, this week in music history, trivia, movies, pop culture, and more. Follow us on all social media platforms, at Rock News Weekly, for our quick one-minute weekly update videos, and please give the episode a five-star rating if you enjoy the episode. Now, on to this week's episode all right guys it's time for another episode of the rock news weekly podcast and uh man we got a good one for you today this week of february 8th 2021 season 3 episode 5 this week's topics include uh marilyn manson uh, accused of abuse dropped by record label chris cornell has second albums worth of more music Matt Heafy and Mike Shinoda collaborate on a new song via Twitch. Mm. Rush's Alex Lifeson talks about the future of Rush, dealing with the loss of Neil Peart and more. Maynard James Keenan reveals he was recently hospitalized a second time with COVID-19. New Foo Fighters album out today, plus more this week's new releases. And we have a very special guest back in the studio for another week. Thanks for joining us again. Charles, what is going on, man? I'm here. I am here. Bonjour. Como ça va? Uh, doing good, man. And I hope you are all doing well out there. Uh, this week of February, we had a couple new releases. As we're mentioning, we're going to be talking about that new Foo Fighters album, Medicine at Midnight, just came out this past Friday. Femi Kuti and Made Kuti. Uh, that's very cool. Uh, those, those are the pioneers of Fela Kuti and that Afrobeat uh, style that came out in the late 70s. Uh, his son, Femi oh. Kuti... Uh, And I don't know who Made is. I'm guessing maybe his sister, uh, maybe his daughter. Uh, The album is called Legacy, and it's probably going to be featuring some really cool stuff from their career. So check that out if you're into that um, style of music. Looks like John Carpenter uh, is posthumously releasing an album. He passed away. But uh, it's Lost Themes 3, Alive After Death. So this must be um, some of his unearthed soundtracks and Things that he did for movies that um, his estate is uh, putting out there. That's crazy. Yeah, it's called Lost Themes Three: Alive After Death from John Carpenter. So check that out. Um, also, new albums out from Strippers Union, The Staves, The Weather Station,
1: The Weekend, and more. Uh, I did know you the see weekend w- the weird stuff with the weekend in his face. No, I didn't. What is it? Oh, so the weekend uh, he it's like some weird art kind of performance where. He started, uh, he started showing up to concerts with bandages all over his face, and okay. his face would be all bloody, and it was like part of his performance art. He was doing it, and he was doing it, and he was coming to award ceremonies, and a lot of people out here may have seen this. And then at one point at a video, he released with all of his bandages off and his face is just a just a a mangled thick like crazy. You ever see those things where it's like plastic surgery gone bad? Yeah, okay. It's it's like that. And so basically like all of his, you know, of course it's not it's not real. You have to look it up. Uh-huh. It looks hor he looks horrifying, but horrifying in a in a way that like a lot of people in Hollywood would actually want their face to be like. It's it's really strange. If you crazy. see people yeah, and, and the performance art of it is all of these artists that basically are changing their appearance to like the standards he right. wanted to like. He wow. wanted to send this message, and it's it's crazy. That's you have pretty to take neat. a look at it. Yeah.
0: Oh, i have to check that out. Yeah, uh, it's and, nuts. As you all uh, out there as well. Uh, all right, so well, let's like, kick it gi- off. I could give a
1: shit about his music. No, but. <laughs> yeah, but that's interesting. That's, a, yeah. that's an
0: interesting thing he was doing there, social commentary. Um, all right, some rock news kicking it off this week. The Foo Fighters uh, coming out with their new album, Medicine at Midnight today, February 5th. Uh, well, that was actually on Friday. Uh, today, by the time you're hearing it, it already came out. Uh, tenth album, Eagerly Anticipated, uh, features uh, Dave Grohl's daughter on there, co-produced by Greg Kirsten, who did their last couple albums. Uh, Dave Grohl's 14-year-old daughter is on the opening track. Uh, so during a chat with USA Today, Dave Grohl explained that due to the pandemic, the release date was um, took a more important role than some of the past albums had. He said, quote, there was a series of conversations like, Should we do it now? It's not a good time. What about now? No, no. Everyone realized that wasn't going to happen anytime soon. We made these songs to share, and it's time to share them. and quote. Drummer Taylor Hawkins shed light on the musical variety of the album. He said, quote, It's almost like two records in one. You've got your disco, dancey, groove-oriented album, and then the other half is pretty traditional Foo Fighters rock music. So if you don't like the dancey bits, just fast forward. End quote. Dave Grohl went on to say that pushing the musical landscape this time out seemed appropriate, admitting, quote, it was entirely intentional knowing that 2020 would be our 25th anniversary and this was our 10th album. I decided the best way to celebrate would be with groove. What a bummer if we made some orchestrated acoustic dirge to celebrate our retirement. (laughs) That's not how I roll. I'm the last guy at the bar every night so i wanted this to be the soundtrack to that we all grew up loving sly and the family stone Jimi hendrix steely dan david bowie and rock and roll that makes
1: you want to move this is the album you do the molly ringwald breakfast club dance to. you know End quote i i listened to an interview on npr with him uh just on friday and you know what they, they actually were going to keep this album under wraps and and uh, and one of the big biggest inspirations for him was the drum battle that he got into with that ten-year-old girl from Britain? Uh huh. Did, did you see that kind of those drum battles yeah, he was having Nondi, with that ten-year-old? Yeah,
0: Nandi, something or whatever. Yeah,
1: yeah. And he saw like how that was like bringing people together during the pandemic. How just like a cute kind of video of him doing that, and he right. would, and, and him and the rest of the Foo Fighters were like, "Wow, if that's if that's the case, like why are we ho- sitting this album on a shelf for so long? Right. When we could bring people together, not in a festival setting, or like a concert setting, but." literally bring people together through the power of music. And if it wasn't for the fact that they produce, like, 26 albums a year anyway... (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) It would be a big shock, right?
0: Yeah, but it's true. Like, they they just put out so much stuff, it just seems par for the course. Like, oh, it's Foo Fighters putting out basically a double album of... a kind of a dancey rock record uh you know uh, during a pandemic that they probably didn't even like you said they just basically had it ready to go yeah yeah and they just go like hey this is a perfect time to do it (laughs) by the way here's five more albums (laughs) next week
1: we already got one coming out (laughs) next week so
0: (laughs) and it's a concept album (laughs) yeah exactly right he's that type of guy uh that's what i like about dave Grohl. at least he's got that kind of fire in him you know like of creativity and the pulse on what's going on in the world and being actively involved with young, up-and-coming musicians and talented people. It seems like he's one of those guys that always just does a really good job of that, right? Whether you like Foo Fighters or not, I mean, Foo Fighters, you know, I think they're kind of one of those middle-of-the-road kind of bands. And I think he does that on purpose in a way to be, like you say, like kind of a worldly accessible band where anybody, you know, from Argentina to, you know, Tokyo... To South America, other South American countries, to Germany, to the U.S., they know who the Foo Fighters are. Yeah, yeah, and and not very many bands can say that. Yeah. yeah, that's in the upper echelon of like AC/DC, the Beatles. Yep, you know where they're known around the world. And Dave Grohl has done such a good job of being that type of guy, right? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. It's super rare. I, yeah, you don't, you don't really see that too in, in modern bands. I guess
1: it's rare. Yeah, uh, in older bands, legacy bands, it's not as rare. He's, he's like the Stephen King of music. Like, he just pumps, like, you don't even know. <laughs> a, you know book, a book every, like, six months. Exactly. Like, he just sits down just to jam, and he's just like, he'll just sit to pull up a guitar and be like, oh, I have a song, and he'll just record it. Yep. That's it. He's a good dude. Um,
0: but speaking of basically the exact opposite of that, um, oh, yeah. let, let's shift gears here to oh, the yeah. other top story like of the week. Dumpster fire. Charles. <laughs> Have you heard about this one? Oh, yeah. Marilyn Manson getting a police welfare check on top of the ex-wife claims um, that he was basically um, doing a bunch of crazy stuff and kind of abusing mentally, physically. I don't know. We don't know. It's going through uh, some details here. So earlier this week, let's start with this. Actress Evan Rachel Wood identified Manson, born Brian Warner, as her abuser for years in a post to social media on Monday, February 1st. So several other women also shared their claims of abuse against Manson via social media. Manson was quickly dropped by his record label, his longtime talent agency, and his part in AMC's Shudder was pulled from an upcoming segment on Creep Show. So now this week, his home was visited by police on Wednesday this past week after... Uh, Apparently, a friend asked that a wellness check be done after not being able to get in touch with Manson. Hmm. A spokesperson... So, first of all, that seems like he's probably not answering calls because he's under a bunch of media scrutiny right now. Right, right. Right, so Manson's not answering your calls. Maybe you're kind of a close friend or at least somewhat of a friend, right? Yeah. But that's kind of understandable. And to say to call the police to do a wellness check... I mean, I don't know. I guess that's maybe stepping it up to where maybe they thought he would be suicidal during something like this. Uh-huh. Maybe he was thinking about killing himself because of all the bad media. Yeah. So I guess now that I'm kind of talking it out, that that's not that crazy of a, of a thing to do. Call right. police on your friends like, hey, wellness check. He's not answering his phone. So a spokesperson for the L.A. police said... Uh, this is uh, E! News that they told. Quote, there was no evidence of any trouble. Officers made contact with someone who indicated there was no trouble at the end of the day So that doesn't mean it was necessarily Manson. Yeah. That that happens when someone doesn't answer the phone. So basically the cops were saying he didn't answer his phone, so what? Yeah. It doesn't mean he wasn't going to kill himself. So, but here's the thing. This week, Manson's ex-wife, Dita Von Teese, has gone out of a way, kind of gone on the record here to make a point that during their one-year marriage, there was no physical violence. She posted a statement on social media that says, quote, I have been processing the news that broke Monday regarding Mary Lamanson To those who have expressed your concerns, I appreciate your kindness. Please know that the details made public do not match my personal experience during our seven years together as a couple. Even though they were only married for one year, apparently they were uh, together for a long time. Yeah. Uh, She said, quote, had they, I would not have married him in December of 2005. I left 12 months later due to infidelity and drug abuse. Abuse of any kind has no place in any relationship. I urge those of you who have incurred abuse to take steps to heal and strength to fully realize yourself. This is my sa- my sole statement on the matter. Yeah. So what do you think of that? Well, So I... we got two kind of things here. We got one, yeah. ex- one ex-wife saying that's not anything that I experienced during my time. Then you have Evan Rachel Wood, another ex-wife, saying that, yes, in fact, she did experience abuse. What do you think? I mean, what are we to think as just fans and just kind of general
1: people seeing these things at face value of well, these kind of things? You know, for for me, for me, it's kind of, you know, I I, I like the kind of um, innocent until proven guilty. Type thing, and I think with a lot of these things that happen, it's it's typically it's it's guilty until proven innocent. Yeah, because his label already dropped yep. him, and it's messed up a, like a, a quite a few people's uh, quite a few people's um, lives, and they you know, some of them have like a Chris Chris Hardwick, for instance, is a good one, and um, there was a, an attempt kind of at at Maynard James Keenan there for a minute that didn't that fizzled out, and now it's like um, the only thing about this one that's really kind of unnerving is a. It's not. I guess it's not just this, but I think up anywhere up to fifteen women have come forward. Right. And and also with similar accusations, um, B he actually has a couple. A couple of we were reading about this last night. A couple of other musicians have come forward, like male musicians have come forward, and yeah, not just we're going to mention that. But, um, they've come forward and they've said um, they said, "Hey, like we know that that this there was some crazy stuff that was going on." And then lastly, the uh, last time we saw him. Uh, aftershock aftershock a horrible was, show oh, it was a horrible show and he was obviously completely under the influence and definitely kind of is struggling with addiction still and and you know his his whole kind of demeanor i get it it's but i i i can for this one i kind of feel that icky feeling like for the, some of the other ones i don't really feel it but for this one i kind of feel that icky feeling like <laughs> Eh, with a lot of this kind, of especially with fifteen or plus accusations, there's right. probably some legitimacy to it.
0: So with Dita Von T's, it's also worth noting that she married him in December of 2005. That was over seven, almost sixteen years ago. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. she maybe didn't experience the later drinking, kind of drugging Manson that uh, that uh, what's her name did, uh, Evan yeah. Rachel Wood, after they got married. And it's also worth noting these two other, uh, as you mentioned, male celebrities in, or male musicians in the rock world. Trent Reznor made a uh, thing, a statement rather uh, about it. He said, "quote I've been vocal over the years about my dislike of Manson as a person and cut ties with him nearly 25 years ago. As I said at the time, the passage from Manson's memoir is a complete fabrication. I was infuriated and offended back when it came out and remain so today." Um, That was uh, Manson's 1998 memoir, which claimed that the two sexually abused and physically assaulted a woman who was barely conscious. Uh, That was him and Trent Reznor. Both were in on that from Marilyn Manson's memoir. So I don't know if he says it was fabricated. I don't know. Maybe there's some kind of truth to it. Who knows? Uh, Yesterday, well, no, last, last week on Thursday, Phoebe Bridges, Bridgers, tweeted about her own disturbing experience with Manson. She said, quote, I went to Marilyn Manson's house when I was a teenager with some friends. I was a big fan. He referred to a room in his house as the rape room. I thought it was just his horrible frat boy sense of humor. I stopped being a fan. I stand with everyone who came forward. End wow. Quote. Yeah. So. <laughs>
1: That's pretty damning. You yeah. know, Well, you got to ask yourself this and not, not to make light of the subject, but I am anyway, just for poops and giggles, but... <laughs> What would Mr. <laughs> Belvedere think? What, what, right? Yeah, what would, what would, I Mr. don't think
0: he would approve. That was the whole joke was that he was <laughs> uh, on that show, right? Yeah. Brian yeah. Warner as a young actor because he did look exactly like that fucking exactly kid. like that exactly like him exactly and like him. he may have been on it who knows yeah it's still, just you still know still debated to this day
1: i guess <laughs> we'll i guess we'll see like some of these other artists like that that were falsely accused that kind of fizzled out and they were kind of brought back into the fold mm-hmm. um and and things have kind of worked out for a few of them but for this one it just i don't know it just seems like i have that weird feeling like yeah i think this one might be Yeah, leaning towards not to. I don't want to delve
0: too deep into this other side topic here, but just to bring it up since we're on this topic, have you heard the stuff about Morgan Wallen lately? No, country artist Morgan Wallen. No. Um, so country artist Morgan Wallen recently was filmed by his neighbor um, across the street. Apparently, he lives just in like a regular ass neighborhood. Really? Yeah, just like a regular neighborhood, right? And uh, apparently, he was partying hard, and apparently, he's been partying. He's had a history of kind of like getting some into trouble. I don't know if you saw the stuff, how he was supposed to be on Saturday Night Live and he got in a in public at a bar, got uh, kind of arrested and had to cancel his Saturday Night Live performance because of it. They invited him back. He did the Saturday Night Live thing, right? But then now this whole thing, apparently he's got another drunk kind of thing that happened. He got dropped off from a bar. All of his friends were like beeping the horns and stuff, like making a bunch of noise in the neighborhood when they dropped him off at super late at night the other night him and a friend and he was using the n-word uh, very no. loudly on the front porch and the neighbors were filming this because they were like what the hell is going on at Morgan Wallen's house here you know they were just filming it like you know yeah and then all of a sudden he dropped a couple n-bombs and his label dropped him everything started oh, yeah. happening immediately yep. after that as well and that was kind of like video footage you Yeah, can't escape it yeah. You know, a little concrete evidence of an artist being really stupid and ignorant. Oh, yeah. But with this whole Manson thing and other things like it, there's there's no hard evidence. So it's hard to kind of, you know, immediately kind of say, that's not right. That's true. You know what I mean? That's true. And with this Morgan Wallen thing, it was immediate and fierce because it was like immediate. You could, you could see the video, you could see it, and you're like, that's not right. You can't deny it. You yeah. Know? But with this you're right with this Manson stuff it may fizzle out it may not either way, he's kind of screwed in a lot of ways yeah when yeah. this type of stuff does happen. Uh, But we'll see. We'll see how it happens and plays out in the coming weeks and uh, go from there, I guess, right? Get your head together, Brian. (sighs) Either way, uh, let's move on to some better rock news this week, guys. Chris Cornell apparently recorded enough music for a second album of cover songs. Uh, Apparently, his widow gave an interview on another radio station, a St. Louis station, saying, quote, There is a volume two. The thing with this volume one, though, that makes it special is that he mastered it, he sequenced it, this is all Chris right from beginning to end. The one that recently came out where it was a Chris Cornell solo, uh, album that he did where it was a bunch of covers, uh, very cool album. Uh, no one sings like you anymore. That was a pretty cool, um, release that he did. Uh, he did a cover of Prince's Nothing Compares to You, Guns N' Roses Patience, John Lennon's Watching the Wheels, some pretty cool deep cuts that just kind of showed how, um, I don't know, musically versed and intelligent and diverse that Chris Cornell really was.
1: Yeah, he's awesome.
0: So there's a whole other cover of, uh, or album of covers out there from Chris Cornell. The physical version of this first volume will be released on March 19th. Uh, so make sure you guys check that out on chris
1: cornell's website and social media all that stuff i bet it's going to be awesome i mean his like kind of soulful stuff that he does independently it's so gritty and yep. soulful and his voice was just like it was something so amazing else, man. It yeah was, it was a very I'm unique voice
0: there's a, a couple of voices like that and you know that i could think of well i guess maybe like you know a top 10 or something of amazing voices in rock especially that he had one of those voices yep. you know in the top 10 of like the echelons in the history of rock. Chris Cornell's voice is going to be up there, you know, with a lot of those uh, guys. Big time. He was amazing. Um, All right. This was something really cool. That's uh, happening on Twitch. A lot of people uh, are collaborating on Twitch these days, you know, because everybody's sitting at home and working from their studios. Right? Yeah. So, Mike Shinoda from Lincoln Park, uh, if you uh, might have heard on a couple episodes back before you joined us, uh, Charles, we did a thing on him. He, his One of his New Year's resolutions uh, was to interact with his Twitch community more and produce music from basically any of his Twitch fans. Ooh. Not just famous people like we're going to be talking about Matt Heafy from Trivium. And how they collaborated because Matt Heafy's also a Twitch streamer and they wanted to kick off this kind of series with a bang. Oh, I like it. But Mike Shinoda put out a thing called, you could do hashtag Shinoda Produce Me. And you put a video of your guitar playing, of you singing, and he searches for that hashtag every week. And he finds artists and Twitch followers and -and up-and-coming musicians and he produces their their track for them he'll grab the vocals and he'll do his magic he'll put it in the studio and make a track out of it and he said he wanted to do that as much as possible coming up in this new year so that one of the first big collaborations of this is going to be with Trivium's Matt Heafy uh which is he's a great guitar player he's an awesome twitch personality he's a funny guy if you guys ever uh get on twitch uh give these guys a follow because they put out some great content not only with their video game playing, but uh, all their
1: musical stuff that they do, which is really cool. What an idea. Oh, that, That's just that's just amazing. It's a great idea, right? Yeah, and so, it, it a really good way to get a lot of free shit.
0: Yeah, and it's also a great yeah. way as a producer you get a bunch of <laughs> vocals out there. Some of it, you know, probably 90, 80% of it's not going to be great. Yeah but then you're going to get that gem every now and then that you never would have found another way. Okay. You know? Yeah. I think that's a a pretty, like you said, it's a pretty smart way of doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So Matt Heafy, regarding the track he sent, um, Mike Shinoda said this, quote, it's epic. It's like Matt standing on a mountaintop with a falcon on his wrist who flies away and collects the bones of enemy clans and enemy warriors. (laughs) And in response, Matt Heafy tweeted quote, the way you described that song I I must have that painted Ha! <laughs> I love that description so much. Can't wait to hear what you conjure. Go freaking nuts. So, he wow. basically gave him, you know, some guitar work and some vocals, and Mike is going to produce the track and do his own thing on it. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so yeah. F- uh, give Mike Shinoda a, 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 a follow on Twitch and and check it out. It sounds uh, like a, a cool idea. Yeah. Um, all right, so another thing happening here with Surge Tankian from System of a Down. He just released the music video for his new track called Elasticity this past week on Thursday. Uh, System of a Down frontman shared the teaser on Instagram and directed fans to look for the full-length video directed by Vlad Kaptur on YouTube. The single serves as the title track of his solo collection of songs
1: originally written for System of a Down, and he's releasing them as a solo album. Ooh, I, I love the fact that he's collaborating with a 16th century Uh, um, a ruler. uh, (laughs) Vlad the Impaler. Yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. I mean, (laughs) uh, I'm I'm very impressed with Serge's, uh, his kind of tenacity and his willingness to collaborate with somebody who's part of the undead community. (laughs) That's that's impressive. So check it out. Uh, The new video
0: Elasticity just came out. Um, All right, some more rock news uh, regarding tools. Maynard James Keenan apparently hospitalized being diagnosed with covid for a second time
1: did wow. you hear about this i i did not hear about the second hospitalization i do know that the first one did some damage yep. and and i was really bummed to hear that because it was lung damage and we all kind of love uh uh Major james keenan's voice yeah. and so i was super bummed to find out that he had it he had it a second time so That's, he, he apparently had it the time you're mentioning where he had the lung
0: damage was when he caught it in February of 2020 yeah. right? this second time was in mid-November later this year just a couple months ago this time he says he ended up in the emergency room though. He says quote I could barely put two words together without going into a coughing fit. It ended up kind of progressing into pneumonia so if I stayed in the hospital they said okay we can keep you here but you're fighting 12 other people for a bed and a ventilator we don't have so what do you want to do? I'm like, well, I need to breathe and I need to sleep. So you're just treating symptoms at that point. There's nothing you can do then other than treat the symptom. Yeah. Use a real cough medicine, not the crap over the counter. And then like an inhaler and some antibiotics to fight the pneumonia and strap the F in. So that's end quote. So well, that's what he says there.
1: To, to to our community, too, who may not be very familiar with Mayor James Keenan, he's actually a very in shape dude. Like oh, yeah. He, He's a
0: jujitsu professional. <laughs> yeah.
1: Like he's a, a biking, mountain biking guy. Yeah. Um, he eats clean. Yeah. Drinks clean. Right. Uh, it's, yeah. His... And so, I mean, if a dude yeah.
0: like him in his, what? Yeah. Mid 40s or yep. something. Yep. Can get COVID twice
1: and be fucking knocked out on oh, his yeah. ass,
0: that shows you how powerful the stick type, type
1: of thing, thing is. For all of our listeners who think that <laughs> if you're relatively young and in decent shape, that you could just ride it out, there's there are many, many, many occasions where people can't do that it nope. just affects everyone differently yeah. right we talked about this in the last show it, like, it affects everyone differently so you gotta take it seriously I know he's taking it seriously but you know what on a positive note you know that the that after he gets over this man this could be some kick ass fucking song. oh yeah it's gonna this be gonna some be gonna be like... song stuff here, happening here <laughs> yeah cause Definitely. I kind of believe I almost believe that like the last album if you listen to it front if you listen to it beginning to end that it's almost like speaking to like this whole pandemic. Yeah. Like there are songs um you know, there are songs that that really like like a like descending is is huge. It's oh, almost I mean, like a just the, an the, anthem. The, the,
0: the album name Fear Inoculum.
1: Fear Inoculum, it, it's like it's the a, beginning a, and yeah.
0: It's kind of a uh a, a, a phrase for the times, mm-hmm. you know? Like the way that like leading up to 2020 and they kind of like had this kind of vision of this type of like mass hysteria yeah. and mass inf- mass information mass misinformation that was yeah. happening and man Tool always just has these kind of like forecasting and foreboding oh, yeah. lyrics and albums that are like way ahead of their time right oh big time so yeah you're right and this is all just providing more and more um, creative ammo oh, yeah. for Maynard to use right? yeah
1: absolutely you know what's gonna happen you know it's gonna happen All right,
0: so speaking of uh, more new music, this broke this week. This was very cool news. We haven't heard from these guys in about a year. Um, The last time, as you mentioned, Charles, the podcast when you joined us last week, we were talking about it was basically a year after the passing of Neil Peart, uh, the drummer from Rush. and. Now we're hearing from uh, Alex Lifeson, more specifically uh, Getty Lee as well. Eager to get back together and work on new music is the headline from this interview, and so here's the deal. Um, here's from the interview quote: After we finished the latest Rush, this is Alex Lifeson uh, quote: After we finished the latest Rush tour in 2015, I started writing on writing on my own and doing some some stuff. Alex said quote: Getty was working on his book. We talked about getting together and doing some stuff together, but it got very, very busy for him. Even after he finished writing the book, taking it on the road, so we never got a chance to sit down and start working, having some fun together. But we still talk about it. I'm sure we will. Of course, now with the pandemic, it's kind of wrecked things for a bit, but we're both eager to get back together and kind of get back to that thing we've done since we were 14 years old that we love to do. And we work really, really well together, so we'll see what happens with that. Hey, if the Foo Fighters can do it. I know, right? He also discussed uh, the death of, you know, Rush drummer Neil Peart more than a year ago, admitting that it hit 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 excuse me admitting that it hit him and Getty hard. After he said, "quote After Neil passed, it was very difficult to get inspired or motivated to play," as you can imagine, we're very, very close you lose anybody that's close it's a profound thing and i think both getty and i expected to be better with it neil was sick for three and a half years and no one really knew about it well lots of people knew about it but it wasn't public so we thought that we would be prepared for the end when it came and we weren't we both really struggled with it same thing happened when neil's daughter passed away i didn't play for quite a long time at all music just didn't seem that important and it was the same thing with this, and then COVID hit, and now we're all sort of in a different mental space. For me, that first year of grieving is the milestone, and once you get past that, I think, I think you, I don't know, it's an anniversary that you process,
1: and it becomes a little easier to handle. Man, sadness makes some of the best music, though, right? You know, like when you're when you're if you, anybody out there listening, if you're, you know, if you're in instruments or whatever, and. It's it's a lot of people's muse as grief as muse. You know you know what's funny. Yep. So my thirteen year old Lalo, who's actually been on the show uh, a while ago, but Lalo actually said which it's it's amazing. So we're talking about music, and we're talking about Rush, and we're talking about Coheed and Cambria, and I'm like, I'm a, I'm a Coheed and Cambria fan, but I'm not a Rush fan. Right. And and I know, please don't kill me, audience, because I'm gonna say this, right? <laughs> Anybody who's not a Rush fan, who's just really not not a Rush fan, a big Rush fan, right? They always say, but mad respect because the drummer, <laughs> right? Like right. everybody says it, right? So we're in this car and we're going, and Lalo, <laughs> Lalo, at some point, my 13 year old, mind you, in 2000. 21 my my 13 year old goes yeah i'm not really a a rush fan but mad props to the drummer and i was like dude you've been saying the same shit since they've been saying since the 70s Lalo. and i did not provoke i don't think lalo and i have ever had a conversation about rush no but that's a
0: universal like something that people walk away from listening to the band with they're like that vocalist is not for me yeah. But man, that drummer. Holy yes, shit. Exactly. <laughs> I was just like I was the blown away. I think they 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 also can walk away appreciating how forward the bass is in Rush. Yeah. That having a bass frontman and having the bass that high in the mix. That was a cool thing especially for me uh like with the whole Power Trio stuff. It's super rare. yeah, and oh, they yeah. They're, they're one of those bands that it it, it it grabs you either way like you said, you know. And uh it's just one of those uh really amazing unique uh, groups, I think that we've had in the rock world that they're just like the coolest guys. They're super nice. And when Neil Peart passed, it was just such a big, big loss. Oh yeah. Huge. Um, their final show was at the forum in LA on August 1st, 2015. I saw them on that tour. No, not way. that show, but a couple days before then, because that was their California leg of that tour. And I did oh, see that. Yeah. I did see that show. Um, and yeah, Pert indicated Peart at indicated at the time that he wanted to retire while he was still able to play well. Yeah, along with the desire to spend more time at home, and then after that, you know, it just uh, you know it is what it is, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of artists that have passed away. Um, Michael Anthony was talking about an Eddie Van Halen tribute show this week and he says there he feels there absolutely needs to be one but he doesn't feel like the time is right he says quote there has to be one obviously we all loved Eddie and the music was all great whether you're a Dave fan a Sammy fan a Gary fan whatever it's gotta be celebrated at some point went on to say quote obviously now is not the time because his family's grieving his son is grieving and I'm still trying to wrap my head around it actually have happened but I'm sure it will happen sometime here in the hopefully not-too-distant future. And I'm definitely in when it does happen. It'll be a great celebration, I think. Um, so I think that's pretty, you know... Yeah, that's cool. I, it's a very you know, good observation of basically what's going on. We all, as fans, would love to see something like that. But in the personal family camp, it's like, we can't do a fucking tribute show right now, right? Yeah. Like, it's just not the right time. Right. It hasn't even been a year. He just passed in October, so... Um, it's just one of those things like where we all want to see it, and it's probably going to be fucking badass, like an Eddie Van Halen tribute show. Yeah. That's going to be killer. Oh, yeah. And it should be, right? Absolutely. I mean, that'd be like, it's a modern Jimi Hendrix type of person that defi- redefined what the electric guitar is, and to have a tribute show to him should be fucking done very well. All of it should go to charity or his family yep. and be done the right way with the right artists and, and that would be fucking killer yeah. man. I
1: Foundations like the O'Keefe Foundation with all exactly. those kids playing. Yep. All of that crazy all that crazy stuff. But you know, right now when we live in a in a in a time when death is like just around us, you know, it's like there's just so much tragedy hitting Dude, like it's everyone. Crazy. Yeah. To to think about doing something like this is basically the same as is is thinking about doing like a funeral for like a loved one when when it's like is this the is this the right thing to do at this time or should we hold off until we can actually make it perfect yep yeah one last bit of
0: bad news this week in memoriam this week we had to mention for i don't know for me growing up in the 90s this was a big show for me and this guy even though like i i don't necessarily care for him in his later years and all of that this was pretty significant. Dustin Diamond passing away at the age of 44. Yeah. Played Screech in Say by the Bell. Passed away on Monday after recent cancer diagnosis. That's the thing. Here's the thing. He passed away Monday, February 1st.
1: Um, where's the the dates on this? Oh, three, three, it happened three weeks after three he... Three weeks, yep. yeah.
0: He got diagnosed at the beginning of January, basically, yeah.
1: and said, you got a month to live. Yeah. and he literally died on february 1st. You know, I I had a buddy, I had a buddy that died that way. He he found out he had cancer a couple of weeks before he died. Dude. And I actually went to the hospital the night that he died. I hadn't hung out with him in a couple of years, but I just went over there and I saw him. And uh and I I remember um uh I remember going to some friends' houses and afterwards and I was like, "Yeah, I spoke to him. We hung out for like an hour. I I was talking to the doctor. The doctor was like, "Yeah, he's he's He's, he's doing okay. He'll pull through like, and then that night he passed away that my like maybe, God. maybe four hours after I had that conversation, what? we're all, we're all hanging out at my buddy Ian's house and Dude. we're all having some beers and stuff like that. And then Ian gets a call and says, Hey, like Joey passed away. And, and it was just, it was just crazy. But you know, he had, um, he had the cancer diagnosis, but in this may be kind of similar. He had the cancer diagnosis, but he was ignoring the signs. Suppose you know, and so ah. when he actually got the diagnosis weeks before he passed, he he probably could have picked up on it, but like most people, they just kind of you know see that's just kind of, super tragic. Yeah, absolutely. They that just sucks. kind of ignore the signs of it.
0: That sucks. All right, yeah. so well, we're gonna move move on to some little bit <laughs> slightly better news? news. I know, but man, I don't know. There was just a lot of bad news this week. There was, uh, you know, there honestly, was. there it's just not a whole lot of like very cheerful stuff going on right now. Yeah, unfortunately. Absolutely, um, but let's move on to some better stuff. We got some good trivia. Uh, this rock birthdays this week. Check it out. We got some birthdays in the rock world. Mike Campbell, the lead guitarist from uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. He's got a cool group called Mike Campbell and the Dirty Knobs. Oh, I like that. And it, yeah, it's pretty cool. It, <laughs> I like they're, that. They're really cool, like a down and dirty blues type of group. Yeah, um, and very Tom Petty-ish as well. Um, check it out. Mike Campbell and the Dirty Knobs. Very Mike cool. The dirty knobs. Yeah. Dave Davies, the lead guitarist from the Kinks. Holy shit. 77, uh, wow. 74 this week. Uh, Duff McKagan, uh, legendary bassist, the most punk rock dude in Guns N' Roses. All right. He's a fucking cool guy. He yeah. really is. He's a cool dude. I'd say Duff McKagan out of all the dudes, um... In Guns N' Roses, probably the coolest. Have you uh, interviewed him before? I wish, man, but I've heard nothing but good things. Every time I read an interview with him, yeah. see anything about the guy, he's just a fucking cool guy. Yeah. And, and he's like, he came from New York, he came to LA from New York, and he brought all that like CBGB, the Ramones, yeah. that whole attitude and vibe to Guns N' Roses. And he's always been, like, a really
1: cool dude. So some some basic trivia for our audience over here. Chris has interviewed all kinds of rock stars. <laughs> some just just not, letting well, you know. Just Yeah, here and there, here yeah, and there. Just um, here
0: here and there. But, yes, I, the, he's definitely on my list as, like, one of my top. That, that would be a, a very cool interview. I'd love to get that. And could, speaking of that, Axl Rose's birthday this week, too, because oh, he's 59. Okay. Axl Rose, I mean, love him or hate him, he's... He's a polarizing figure in the rock world, and I gotta say, he earned my respect on the last Guns N' Roses tour that I did see. I was very skeptical, skeptical about going to that show. I'm like, I heard everything from all the years—the 20, 30 years that Guns N' Roses was touring originally, from like 80s up until the early 2000s—that he was just notorious for being late, putting yeah. on a shitty show, being fucking drunk, yeah, and being horrible, right? Very Marilyn
1: Manson. <laughs> I know, right?
0: Yeah. But when we saw them, it was a over three-and-a-half-hour-long show, and it fucking wore me out. And I was looking on the stage at Slash and Axl Rose, still jumping around doing the shit oh, at yeah. the end of the three-and-a-half-hour-long show. I'm like, holy shit, man. Tip of the hat to these guys. And yeah. they sounded great. They were at, like the peak of their performance. This was 2016, 2017. Whenever they did their comeback thing, right, Guns right. and Roses,
1: and I gotta say, Axl Rose had his shit together, and he sounded fucking great. So, you well, know. we found out last week that they are cartoon characters anyway, <laughs> and if you think of a Who Framed Roger Rabbit esque type, <laughs> type like type, then they they can maintain that. You know who
0: sounds like <laughs> Roger Rabbit from Ooh. Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Paul Stanley from Kiss.
1: Please,
0: no, he really does.
1: No way. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you how I'm feeling
0: tonight. (laughs) And I'm like, dude, who does this sound like in my head as I'm watching Kiss in the concert? Like, hey everybody, (laughs) (laughs) we love you, man. And all this shit. I'm like, that's fucking Roger Rabbit from fucking, and it's Paul Stanley, dude. He sounds like Roger Rabbit. Wouldn't Uh, it be crazy if we found out that's who did the voice of Roger Rabbit? It sounds
1: like him. It really does. It's crazy. That staged
0: voice that he uses, it sounds like
1: Roger Rabbit. It's well, like well, wild. Axel Rose for a minute at least in 87 kind of sounded like the shoe that was dipped into <laughs> the dip. <for laughs> Roger right, In so. that toxic
0: dip. Yeah. Oh shit. Oh, God. All right. All right. This week in music history trivia, guys. This week in 1985, a track by this artist becomes the official anthem of New York City was it A Frank Sinatra, B
1: Neil Diamond, or C Bob Dylan? What do you think? Oh, Charles, man, I so there's no way for me to filter in a David Crosby joke here. <laughs> um even though no. I wish I wish I could.
0: There was some pretty um, lame trivia this week, I got to say. There wasn't very many Things that happen in the
1: rock world. Like I could say Monumental I, stuff. Anyway. I could say D David Crosby, and the name of the song would be <laughs> I Love to Do Coke in New York City. <laughs> that's, that's a that was a good song. That was a good song. Very Coke that's a rare hit. New York City. Yeah, that was a
0: rare hit. That was yeah. a live live track. <laughs> Didn't really hear that one too much. Um,
1: Neil Diamond, you know, uh come to America, uh, Bob Dylan. I'd say Frank Sinatra. I'm gonna Frank go Sinatra. with Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Frank
0: Sinatra, it is New York, New York. Nice. It became the New official York. anthem of I... New York City this week in 1985. Hey, also, by the way, um, that's in Gremlins 2, right? It is. Yeah. That's right. Gremlins 2, great film. Great film. Great uh the original Gremlins, great Christmas movie. Oh yeah. I it, love that Christmas movie. You know, Die Hard Gremlins. Her dad, the the, the lady in Gremlins. Uh, One of the stories in the movie was that her dad died in the chimney trying to come down as Santa Claus. Oh, yeah. yeah. As a child, and he broke his neck in the chimney and got stuck. In the chimney, and so that's why yeah. she
1: hates Christmas. You know, I she she <laughs> so actually has a story in Gremlins too. There there's a story in Gremlins too where she does that. Like it's it's they basically oh, kind of repeat like, that reenact thing. it. Also, by the way, I think her name is Phoebe something. What was basically like everybody's childhood crush? Right. Yeah. Um. But Phoebe, for, Phoebe
0: Walters? No. I
1: oh, I forgot her name, but yeah, gorgeous, gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also from uh the the movie the 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 best scene in the movie Fast Time at Ridgemont oh, High. Oh, yeah. That, the red bathing suit? Yeah, which oh, is one of the reasons gosh. why she was so many people's crush. And to go on a beat to, you yeah. know, and to Drop Dead Fred and Gremlins. And God, we're really showing That's our right. age right now, Drop right? Dead Fred, yeah. too, man. Yeah. That was a
0: good one. All right. some Speaking of movies and all that good stuff, let's move on to movie TV entertainment news. Friday the 13th has sued Warner Brothers. The day? Well, Sean Cunningham, the producer from the original Friday the 13th, has launched a lawsuit against Warner Brothers. Huh and Paramount Pictures over net profits from the horror franchise. He says, quote, This lawsuit presents the latest chapter of the defendant's Hollywood accounting rights attorneys led by Neville, Neville, Neville Johnson. So, apparently, Friday the 13th have been getting screwed out of royalties for the wow. past whatever, like the entire length of the franchise. Wow. So, that's kind of crazy that they're just he's just now getting a very big lawsuit together, the producer, from that.
1: I guess it's been like a... A, a big thing. So I'm going to do a little trivia question. Cause I know this, but I want to know if you guys know this, what the, the whole reason behind Friday the 13th, like why Friday the 13th is, is kind of like a cursed day. Oh, um, uh, I don't know. So what is it? So the Friday the 13th is a cursed day. That actually was the day that all of the Knights Templar were, were rounded up and oh, burned yeah. at the stake. I think yeah. I
0: remember seeing that on that, like one of those, tv things yeah 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 like hey. uh, either ancient aliens or one of those things yeah yeah
1: okay yeah and that's the reason why which is kind of crazy because the knights templar were uh you know e- even though there was they had that whole kind of crusade type thing but they did some horrible shit oh yeah they did really <laughs> did bad horrible stuff. stuff so like the fact that we kind of talk about friday the 13th is like this horrible kind of day and it's like this ominous day it's really kind of goes behind like these Horrible people getting killed, yeah, yeah, you know, rounded up and killed <laughs> essentially. Kind of
0: like, hey, you know, go. it was like,
1: it's so it's like bad luck, like, right. like you know,
0: you got burned. Bad luck for who, though, right? Yeah, um, all right, uh, let's move on to some more movie, TV, entertainment news here. Um, Netflix gearing up their GameStop film, so we've all been hearing the news about GameStop and oh, the yeah. stock market, right? Yep. So. <laughs> They've already, uh, they are already in works with a writer, Mark Bull, who negotiates to write a drama on this whole thing about GameStop. They already got a, uh, an actor like that they want to have the lead artist yeah. and uh, Wall Street stuff. I, I, I'd love to
1: see it. I'd love to see a Netflix film on that. Oh, GameStop yeah, me too. That that yeah. Maybe it'll explain a little bit more what the hell. Yeah, What's going on. Jeff Bezos stepping down
0: as Amazon CEO this week. That was also some pretty big news, and uh, apparently it's kind of a restructuring of the company. Um, uh, they're gonna—he's still gonna be involved. Yeah, it looks
1: like Andy Jassy, who co-runs, who runs Amazon's cloud computing business, will take over as CEO. So I'm gonna say this just because, just random kind of random thing out there. But uh, to does not Jeff Bezos sound like one of like the the 12 like henchmen of like lucifer like (laughs) maybe not the jeff part but like if his name was like yeah yeah, i don't know i summon you bezos uh beelzebub and bezos beelzebub bezos here cometh bezos
0: Yeah, what is that? Beelzebub or whatever? What is that from? That's like. Uh, Beelzebub
1: is actually the name of, like, uh, essentially, like, Satan's, like, first, yeah there Yeah, like okay, there you man, go. Like, in the 12th layer of the <laughs> abyss or whatever. And Bezos is, like, third. He's, like, the richest man in the world, you know? Of course! Oh, shit. Jeff Bezos.
0: Comes from a long satanic line of, <laughs> of lineage. Yeah. Did you hear about Oregon? Uh, I hear quite a bit about Oregon. Decriminalizing possession of all drugs? Oh yeah, there you go. So if you want to walk around with crystal meth and ecstasy and not have to worry about anything other than a hundred dollar fine uh, or a health assessment, yeah, <laughs> head on down to Oregon or up to Oregon, wherever you are, uh, because they became the first U.S. state to do this to decriminalize possession of drugs. Uh, it happened last week. People in Oregon can no longer be arrested for possession of small amounts of all of this. Check yeah. it out: heroin, cocaine, methadone. Oxycodone Methamphetamine LSD And ecstasy Instead They'll face a $100 fine Or a health assessment That could lead to addiction counseling Addiction recovery centers Here's the cool part Yeah Will be funded by tax revenue From Oregon's Legalized marijuana industry So I like all of that That it's not being paid by taxpayers Yeah This is all being funded By the marijuana industry Which is cool But I don't know about all Just allowing people to have large amounts of methamphetamine, LSD, and a bunch of other kind of crazy-ass drugs that could really fuck people up.
1: You know what? I I have a I have a theory about this. Whoa, what what and do you, you think, guys? You guys are gonna like this. You're gonna appreciate this theory. So <laughs> and maybe it's just because I just kind of go there. So so um just. The, the the war on drugs essentially that came out of kind of the Reagan era. Yes. Um, the war on drugs. Uh, if That's you, if, all bullshit, yeah, right? It's we all, all it's, agree. Like the war on drugs is a failed fucking operation. Failed operation. Waste if, of money. If you guys wanna, if you guys want to get a little bit of um, homework on this, look up Oliver North and the contra- yeah, oh yeah. yeah, and the the, the, co- the, the Iran, Iran contra, contra scandal, scandal. Yep. and the the way that cocaine kind of came into the U.S. during that time and and trading basically yeah. imported by our own government. Exactly and. And basically, the way in which the war on drugs was like basically, if you if you know what the Thirteenth Amendment is, it basically says that slavery is abolished except for unless you're institutionalized. If you're, if that's you're why in, they say the prison system is the new form of yes. slavery for, yep.
0: that was introduced in the modern era. That was their way around the loophole of slavery. Well, we can just put them in prison yes. and have them as our own property. Yeah. Do whatever we want with them there.
1: Yep. And that's why drug offenses usually have, um, especially in in areas where they dominantly African-American have double digit sentences. The South. The South. Yeah. Poor neighborhoods. Exactly. You know, disenfranchised communities. Yep. You know, podunk towns, all of that type of stuff. Right. Yep. Yep. And that all kind of plays into this kind of mentality that like basically the kind of war on drugs has uh, increased our prison population, which is a it's not good. Um, it's kind of catered into this whole you know crazy uh, uh, amount of, of dominantly um, people of color being incarcerated for a long period of time for like basic kind of drug offenses and then like we spend a lot of money on a lot of money and time on these kind of on these things which we should be focusing on kind of other things now I'm not exactly. saying that walking around with like with a, with a, bag, a, full of with a bag full of meth is a good thing but what I am <laughs> saying is that there will be some positive outcomes of this and I'm guessing this right this is just me like I'm playing it out. Out to see what's gonna happen, but yep. I'm guessing there's gonna be positive aspects of this because I know that when a lot of people were against the legalization of marijuana, they'd be like, Well, that are all these drug dealers it's gonna yeah. be dealing drugs, right? They're Check go this out. Crazy. Check this out. If if hot Cheetos was the was the hottest commodity on the market right now, and I basically just said right now, hey. Hot Cheetos is free. We're just going to give it away for free. Guess what? It's no longer a fucking hot commodity. Yeah, no one wants it. No one wants it. There's no taboo. So drug dealers. There's no mystery.
0: There's no demand. You're taking away the demand.
1: Yeah. Who's going to go shoot somebody over a pound of weed when you could literally go buy some weed? (laughs) At the local distillery. Exactly. So like why, I mean, I think that like a lot of people are, are going to focus on this and say, no, it's going to be horrible. People are going to be walking around. Well, the most people who are walking around doing shady shit with drugs are people who are selling those drugs. And if drugs basically become easy to kind of come by, then the, then, and, and also, by the way, and I know I'm going on a rant here, but also, by the way, there's a lot of people want to do those drugs because it's so hard to get. Right, right. They're they're intrigued because it's like difficult. But once that is all kind of alleviated, then some of that's going to go. Now, by the way, this is just a theory. Yeah, uh, no, yeah. I of Who course. knows? That's but what we're doing. I, I'm tying. I'm putting things together, and I'm thinking that we're not going to see an increase in violence. We're not going to see like it. It's just this is all going to kind of fizzle out.
0: Yeah, and, and I think it's it's good that they're actually taking the initiative to do it as the first state in the U.S. to do it. And now it can be a model for other states and be like, hey, this worked or it really worked. Yes. Or it didn't. And this is where we need to grow and learn from it. And I think it's a good first step in the right direction because the war on drugs is bullshit. But we need to, I think, you know, maybe modify that slightly a little bit to...
1: I Ma- totally agree. Maybe,
0: maybe the amount. Yeah. Like, if you're personally using meth or heroin and stuff, yeah, maybe if it's, like, under an X amount of grams, you know, but if, like, you got a fucking car full of the stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I think that's still worth a little bit of maybe some jail time or a larger fine than $100. Yeah. Because then you're basically giving everybody an excuse to just kind of have a
1: free-for-all on a very large scale. That feels like that there's no repercussions. That's true. It's kind of like people who, when marijuana is legalized, they're they're thinking, well, I could just go drive around high. And yeah, it's and like, that's no, not how can't. it works.
0: Not. It's like
1: alcohol. Yep.
0: You can't, and it's just like, you know, if alcohol was like to where you could walk around the streets. Basically, you're saying like you could walk around with an open container and all you're going to face is a 50 or or $100 fine. Well, a lot of people might fucking just walk around with an open container all the time you know yeah you know that's the whole joy of going to vegas and areas like that right yeah you feel that all i gotta worry about is like a hundred dollar fifty dollar fine well shit i'm gonna take that gamble you know yeah there's a lot of people here right yeah how are they gonna single me out right so yeah it's just it's giving you know you give you give everybody an inch they take a mile but you gotta like you gotta start somewhere and this is i think a step in the right direction for all of us to kind of like just like you're saying take the steam out of the dealers take the money out of the black market uh offer counseling as yeah. a, an option and i think it's a good way to go with some of those drug drugs I, you know? I like that i like it yep all right well we'll see we'll see how it goes
1: we'll keep an our, our, yeah, eye on you let's follow this one closely chris uh
0: this is interesting though this was one of the very good or very few good stories of the week that i thought was a very interesting thing So, researchers from the Netherlands have analyzed several old studies and found that the simple act of listening to music around the time of heart surgery may help patients (laughs) recover. So, scientists say the majority of the time the music was used was relaxing, did not have strong rhythms or percussion. The choice of music varied; sometimes it was from the patient's own playlist, but other times it was pre-selected playlists or chosen by the doctor. The data showed, though, that compared to things like breathing exercises. Listening to music significantly reduced patients' anxiety and pain after major heart surgery. And up to several days of listening to music also reduced anxiety for up to eight days after surgery. Though more research is needed, at least one
1: expert says that we should start looking at implementing this as a complementary form of therapy for patients following heart surgery. Yeah. Well, rem- remember one thing, though, an audience. We have to remember this one thing that we're talking about the Netherlands here. So all the music they're talking about is fucking death metal <laughs> or yodeling. They're, t- they're talking about death metal, <laughs> yodeling or potentially Bjork, even though she's Icelandish. <laughs> like still like there is either yeah. way, those could all give us yeah. a
0: heart attack here in the United yeah. States. So be aware that is a skewed reading. That yeah, is a skewed. Skewed fact there. I forgot to mention that. It is a, it is a skewed... Fa- you know what? Um, it,
1: okay, so, like, if you actually listen to some death metal, like, really listen to it with some headphones on, like, in the dark, it's oddly soothing. <laughs> it is, yeah. It's oddly soothing. It is. I have some friends that will contest that. Um, weekly
0: WTF this week, even though it's a pretty cool thing. SpaceX announcing a mission to orbit with an all-civilian crew. Oh, okay. Um, so, here's the thing. The good part of this the flight is part of a charity initiative for saint jude's children's research hospital nice so they're going to donate their three seats these guys who will be specifically selected for this uh to saint jude's so they're going to give a hundred thousand dollars for the charity which really isn't a whole lot and i was kind of thinking like man why don't you guys make that like a million or something you know yeah uh to really make that great that is pretty small (laughs) right Um, So, but at least they're doing that, but here's the deal. So, it's the company's private Dragon spacecraft. They're gonna be launching it into orbit around the Earth. The mission is expected to take place towards the end of this year. Leading the crew will be Jared Isaacman, the co-founder and CEO of the payment processing company Shift 4 Payments, who's also a pilot who's flown both commercial and military aircraft. SpaceX didn't reveal how much he paid for the journey, The flight, yeah, right? The flight is part of this charity initiative, as I mentioned, for St. Jude. One will be a St. Jude ambassador. Another seat will be offered to the public as part of a charity drive. And the final spot will go to an entrepreneur, quote, who utilizes the new Shift4Shop e-commerce platform. The multi-day mission called Inspiration4 will travel into orbit, circling the Earth once every 90 minutes before returning in a splashdown off the coast of Florida. Wow. Although civilians have been on space flights before, they usually pay to hitch a ride with U.S. astronauts or Russian cosmonauts.
1: Oh. Well, so. I have one thing to say about this. What is that? Private Dragon Spacecraft is the dopest band name ever. <laughs> right? right? Or Either that or, like, the dopest military name for, like, mm-hmm. a private private dragon spacecraft well it's the spacex dragon spacecraft oh i like that right well you know i this kind of makes me this unnerves me a little bit because when nasa had a civilian go up into a spacecraft in 1987 it did not end well no no i know
0: and that's the (laughs) thing is like these are kind of risky risky things
1: yo dahlia what's up dahlia dahlia is in the house Dahlia's been playing Zelda for two and a half hours. By two and a half hours, do you mean two and a half weeks? (laughs) Well, I'm playing it for a month. I think I finally just, like, beat the last little side quest. Oh, well, good. Nice. Nice. Nice.
0: Well, let us wrap it up here. We're um, No, that's fine. We'll uh, we're, we're done with the episode this week, guys. That's it for us this week. Give us a like and a follow on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Rock News Weekly, and, of course, rocknewsweekly.com if you enjoyed our episode rated in the podcast and the Apple Google Stores. Appreciate it, guys. Have a good one. We'll Peace. see you next week. Peace. Peace. Peace.